Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 17. <clears throat> Judges, chapter 17, reading from verse 1. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah, and he said unto his mother, the eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest and spakest of also in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me. And our subject this evening is a portrait of decline. Well, uh, we come back to this uh, book of Judges. And uh, this week we're not looking... Uh, or focusing on a judge. Uh, in fact, uh, there have already been a number of studies uh, in this series when we have not uh, focused on a judge. But uh, Samson uh, was the last judge in the book of Judges. Uh, not technically speaking, Eli and uh, Samuel could also be counted as judges, but Samson is the last judge we read of uh, in detail in the book of Judges. And uh, he was uh, uh, the judge who uh, closes the account of the judges in this book because uh, what happens from here on in, from chapter 7 to the end of the book, uh, well, it's not in chronological order. That is to say that chapter 7 does not occur directly after chapter 16. The events of chapter 17 do not occur after Samson's death, which we've just read about. Uh, the events of chapter 17 actually occur before Samson, way before Samson. In fact, just after the time of uh, Joshua, just after the time in which uh, Joshua has uh, led uh, the Israelites into the promised land, he has uh, died. The uh, elders, the tribal elders ruled for a while but uh, there was a time after that in which, uh, well, we read it in uh, uh, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So that period between Joshua and uh, the judges, this is how it was. There was no king in Israel, which uh, really meant that there was no government, there was no uh, magistrate, no uh, ruler, no godly ruler, no leader that feared uh, the Lord. And uh, therefore, this was uh, the reason for the chaos. Law and uh, order is important in any sphere of society. Otherwise, this is what happens. Everyone does what is right in their own Eyes. When authority is non-existent or when authority is weak, then the people start deciding for themselves what is right and what is good for themselves. And that is when things start to collapse. And this is why we are being shown these uh, chapters. Uh, we are given the reason why there needed to be judges. We are going to see in these chapters uh, well, we're going to focus, really, it's like a microscope focusing in 
on uh, the life of uh, the Israelites that uh, therefore needed the intervention of the judges. We're going to look at the religious and moral degeneracy of uh, the Israelites and uh, how, uh, how they were before uh, the time of the judges. And so uh, this is going to be our main focus. Now I did think of uh, uh, doing chapters 17 and 18 together because they are essentially the same uh, narrative and the same account. Uh, but there's plenty uh, in verse uh, or in chapter 17 uh, to look at and uh, uh, many applications, of course, we can make as we uh, look at the example of uh, this uh, man, this Ephraimite, Micah. And uh, essentially what is going to happen here is, uh, well, idolatry is going to be seen in the house of Micah, in the family of Micah. And eventually, in uh, chapter 18, that idolatry is going to spread to the tribe of Dan. So we're going to see uh, the spreading of uh, idolatry and degeneracy uh, in uh, Israel amongst the Israelites. But let us look at these uh, verses in earnest uh, from uh, verse 1 of chapter 17. There was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah. Uh, now, we're not told a, a, a huge amount about uh, Micah, but we uh, can glean certain things very easily from this account. Uh, from verse 2, for example, we shall learn that uh, his family are very wealthy. So there's a man of Mount Ephraim, his name was Micah. He said unto his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from thee, that's a lot of money about which thou cursest and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And so uh, uh, we uh, open this chapter with uh, already a look at the, uh, uh, the impaired moral character of uh, this man, Micah, it appears that Micah, the son, has stolen a large amount of money, 1,100 shekels, from his own mother. So uh, uh, his mother has uh, realized that a lot of money has been taken from her. She was cursing about it and uh, spake of it to her own son. And he was the one who had the money all the time. So uh, immediately we get an idea of... Uh, uh, the spiritual poverty, the poor moral character of uh, Micah, somebody who steals from his own mother. He's uh, covetous. Perhaps he thinks the money is already his. Uh, he can't wait for his mother to die and uh, uh, give him the inheritance. He thinks it's my money, so I can just take it. But uh, it's only when uh, uh, his mother pronounces a curse on the one who has taken it, when he hears her curses, then he confesses. And, uh, well, you may think that's uh, an admirable thing, but we shall see as uh, we go through this account that uh, uh, Micah is very clearly uh, somebody who is, uh, well, superstitious, first and foremost, but also somebody who fears men, who fears the curses of men, rather than the displeasure of of God. He has stolen from his mother 
uh, and uh, he doesn't seem to think uh, anything uh, much of that, doesn't seem to think of the Lord and what an offense it is to the Lord. But as soon as he hears his mother's curses, then, uh, uh, then he confesses. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And uh, this is something we note about Micah and the family. They are respecters of persons rather than those who fear the Lord. And uh, uh, this is uh, something, as I've mentioned, that we shall see in these uh, verses. But it's interesting also to see his mother's reaction. She goes from cursing to blessing. So uh, when uh, the son uh, says, the silver is with, with me, I took it. His mother said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. So uh, this is cursing to blessing. She was so angry, and rightly so, that the money had been taken away from her. But as soon as uh, the son says, I have it, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Well, again, we might find that to be admirable, but actually there's no discipline here. No uh, discipline exercised of her son. She just uh, sort of brushes it off. He's stealing from her. Oh, it's, uh, it's just my son. And uh, again, we start to see the picture of moral degeneracy. Sin, it appears, is being taken so lightly. Stealing, thieving. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Yes, we can curse about it and call it a bad thing. But uh, no discipline at all. No consequences. And that's a sign, again, of a decline, of a society in decline. We see this in our society. Uh, so much uh, crime, so much uh, uh, vice and so on. Because increasingly, it seems, there are so little consequences. Or consequences that don't really amount to anything at all. No uh, discipline. No punishment at all. This is a society that doesn't like punishment, discipline, or anything like that. And that is why, well, there is decline in society. And even in a church, we could say, in a church setting, there has to be discipline. There has to be uh, the consequences for sin. Otherwise, the church starts to decline. And, uh, well, we see this here. This is a picture of the decline of uh, the Israelites. And so uh, uh, we read it in that way. But it gets worse, verse 3. And when he had restored the uh, 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and uh, a molten image. So uh, apparently the mother says, well, she does say, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. Now, it's not entirely clear whether she had previously intended to uh, commit the money for the Lord's service. Maybe that was the case. Maybe that's why the son, Micah, stole it, because he didn't want it going to the Lord's service. Or perhaps it's uh, only after it's restored, only after it's given back, then she decides, I'm going to uh, commit all the money to the Lord. But uh, either way, she doesn't use it for a good purpose because she wants to make a graven image 
and a molten image. And uh, this is uh, very sad, a graven image made of wood and overlaid with silver, slightly different to a molten image, which would have been made uh, entirely of uh, silver. But this is uh, very wrong, of course, graven images. And the Israelites should have known that this was wrong. They had very clearly been given those commandments at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, which we, of course, know very well. And uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, again, you don't need to turn to it. But thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No graven image. But the Israelites are making graven images. The house of Micah is making a graven image. And uh, I could even go to Deuteronomy 27 and from verse 14. And the Levites shall speak. That'll be important a bit later on. The Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and putteth it in a secret place, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And, uh, well, this is something that we are all very aware of, the graven image, but the clear teaching of the word of God was being ignored. Not long after the instructions are given, not very long, these instructions are being ignored. No graven image. And, uh, well, we speak uh, from time to time about the danger of graven images. Any images? Well, we, we have people, even nowadays, who are like uh, Micah in his uh, household. What is wrong with uh, making images? Uh, what is wrong with making images for Christian worship? And uh, no doubt these images would have been used at least in part to worship the God of Israel. The family were syncretists. They were uh, those who uh, would worship uh, the gods of the Canaanites, but they also wanted to worship the God of Israel, most certainly. And no doubt these images they would use to worship the true and living God. And uh, many people, of course, say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the uh, simple and easy answer is that you cannot make an image of God. Any image of God is, uh, well, blasphemous, is dishonoring to the Lord, is inadequate, is a complete misrepresentation of God. Even images of Christ, we don't have... Uh, any uh, descriptions of what the Lord Jesus Christ looked like. So uh, if you have a, a painting or a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ as somebody who is uh, blonde, blue-eyed, white, and so on, that is a complete misrepresentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't look like that. A complete misrepresentation. And we are meant to worship in spirit and in truth. In truth, not worshipping something that is a, a misrepresentation 
And by the way, it is always the image that ends up being worshipped. The image, no matter how uh, good the intentions are in creating the image, it's always the image that ends up being worshipped. It's the image that I can't do without. And not just images, other things. You could mention crosses, chains, and so on. I have to have my chain. I have to have my rosary beads. These are the things that are worshipped, that end up being worshipped. And so uh, this is why uh, we affirm and uh, we make very clear that uh, graven images, uh, they are not to be used. We walk by faith. And uh, well, again, that's uh, another reason it undermines faith, a graven image, a molten image. But well, we see so many nowadays, they don't want to walk by faith. They have no desire for a spiritual God. This is what we see nowadays. No desire for a spiritual God. Just a, a God that is practical, a God that meets my needs and, and blessings, and I'll mention that a bit later. But uh, a spiritual God, that is so important. Walking by faith, true conversion, again, that's being undermined. It's only the outward that is being emphasized nowadays. And uh, here we have a great picture of that. Make the outward, make the graven image. So we don't need to be so spiritual. We don't need to talk about uh, faith and new birth and conversion and things like that. Just make a, a molten image and worship that, the outward religion. And uh, all of these things, well, we know it, but we have to uh, point these things out when the scripture points them out. And uh, this is what is being pointed out here. So uh, the molten image, the graven image is going to be made. And verse 4, yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, the one who would uh, make the uh, image and make the idol, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Well, uh, one thing that the commentators quite often note is that the mother, even though she said that she was going to dedicate all of the money to the Lord, 1,100 shekels of silver to the Lord, she only actually gives 200. 200 shekels of silver. So she speaks very much about being religious and about how she's going to do this for the Lord and that for the Lord. But her actions don't actually match up. Only 200 shekels. It's very reminiscent of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. You know the account well how they said that all the money that came from the sale of their land, they would give to the Lord, all of it. But they didn't. They didn't give all of it, just part of it. And the Lord dealt very harshly with them because that is not honoring to the Lord. But this is the character of this family. This is the character of Israel at this time. And, uh, well, it's bad enough that the money is being made uh, for 
uh, is being used for a molten image. In verse 5, and the man Micah had an house of gods. So uh, uh, gods of the Canaanites had been brought in, syncretic worship, but also alongside the worship of the true and living God or supposed worship of the true and living God. He made an ephod, which uh, as we remember from the time of Gideon, the ephod was the, uh, the sacred garment or cape worn by the priest. And uh, teraphim, teraphim that were used for guidance, sort of an equivalent to the urim and thummim that was used by the, uh, the high priest. So Micah, again, is uh, uh, just like Gideon did to some extent. He's trying to replicate that worship. But this is, of course, not to be done. There was an appointed place for worship in uh, Shiloh. There was uh, no permission made to uh, recreate worship, to recreate ephods and teraphims in your own home, in one's own house. That was not permitted, and yet this is what Micah is doing. He's uh, replicating, making up his own rules as he goes along. And uh, the ephod, the teraphim, which was, uh, as I've mentioned, for guidance. He's uh, creating his own means and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. Again, he had no authority to do this. It's only the high priest who can consecrate his sons to become a priest. But he's taking all of this authority upon himself. And, uh, well, it is interesting that that verse, uh, verse 6, is uh, very close after the details of what Micah is doing. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. As if to say, see, this is what Micah is doing. Look what he's doing. He's making a house of gods, worshipping Canaanite gods. He's uh, mixing uh, worship of the true and living God with that. And uh, he's even appointing one of his own sons to become priest. He's just doing what is right in his own eyes. This is so very wrong. And well, of course, we apply it to uh, ourselves. We must not make up our own rules concerning religion. We must not make up our own interpretations. We must not look elsewhere for guidance. Micah is uh, using his own means of guidance, the teraphim, and uh, no doubt making decisions based upon that. Well, this is uh, so very common. We as Christians, we can look elsewhere for guidance rather than looking to the word of God, the authentic word of God. We uh, look to worldly means. We look to uh, uh, those uh, modern means, online, YouTube, all sorts of things for guidance and influence rather than the word of God. And uh, this is, well, all indicative of uh, greater uh, deterioration in the moral life and the religious life of Israel. But uh, verse 7, now we have uh, a young man 
who will remain with us into uh, chapter 18. But uh, we read here in verse 7, There was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And uh, I don't want to spend too long just on this verse, but this verse is actually, again, quite revealing because Levites were meant to uh, be living in one of the 48 Levitical cities. Bethlehem, Judah, was not a Levitical city. And uh, so if this young man is a Levite, he ought to have been in one of those cities. He ought to have been... uh, allocated there. He ought to have been employed. He seems to be wandering as we uh, read through these verses. And uh, again, perhaps this is because the Israelites, they had forgotten their obligations to the Levites. The Levites were not uh, given any land as the other tribes were. They were uh, to be consecrated to the Lord. That's why they had their cities. But also they were to be provided for by tithes and offerings from the Israelites. But all of this seems to have gone by the wayside. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any provision being made or any esteem or respect for the Levites, for those who serve the Lord in this special way. And uh, so this man, this young man, he seems very lost. Verse 8, he departs out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. So he is wandering, he leaves Bethlehem, Judah, he comes to this house of Micah, which must have been quite well known. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. So as soon as Micah knows that this young man is a Levite, one of the priestly tribe, his ears must have pricked up, and uh, he said to himself, well, this Levite can serve me in my house of gods. This will be a great asset This will uh, perhaps draw more worshippers to my house of gods if I have a proper Levite to uh, legitimize what I'm doing. And verse 10, Micah said unto him, Dwell with me and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And uh, well, again, this is very uh, sad. It is uh, apparent, and what comes through in these verses is that Micah really has no spiritual consideration in his house of gods and uh, all that he is doing. He seems to be running uh, this house like a business. This is a business to him. As I've already mentioned, this house of gods would have been well known would have been of great renown. Many would no doubt have come to this house of God to worship and to bring offerings and tithes perhaps. And I'm sure Micah is making a lot of money out of this. And even with his dealing with the Levite, it is like a business transaction. Come and serve 
as a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, a suit of apparel, and thy victuals, your, your food. So the Levite went in. This is all very business-like, transaction-like. There is no uh, spiritual consideration here. And uh, again, this is something that we have to be careful of, that we are not tempted to run the church as though it is a business. We know of uh, many mega churches, particularly, who uh, seem to have cast aside all spiritual considerations, and they run their churches as though they are businesses. Making money is the most important thing. Making a profit is the most important thing. It ought never to be that way. We are not a business. We are not even competing with other churches. Sometimes we can get caught into this uh, trap and get overly concerned with other churches and what other churches are doing and uh, overly concerned with growth. How many people are coming to the church? Church, well, growth is good. We uh, want to see the church grow. But that is not uh, the great priority, as though this is some kind of business. We want to get bigger and bigger and, and uh, uh, do more and more things. Yes, that's a healthy desire. But the great priority is honoring the Lord and maintaining faith and maintaining our walk with the Lord and obeying him and serving him. It's not a business. We don't have to worry about competing with others and how big we are. This can be the temptation. And uh, this, it seems, is uh, the spirit of Micah. Everything is being run and being done as though it's a business. And this Levite gets taken in by it. He too is uh, compromising. We read from Deuteronomy that the Levites were instructed to uh, say, cursed is anybody who has a graven image. That's what we read in Deuteronomy. So why is this Levite, why does he want anything to do with Micah? If he's a true Levite, he should say to Micah, I'm not going to work for you no matter how much you pay me. Because the Lord has said that we are not to use graven images. That's what the Levite should have said. But he doesn't. He just uh, goes in. He wants his comfort. He wants his, his uh, food. He wants his money. He wants his clothing. Material concerns. You see how the spirituality has been drained out of Israel. And again, this is uh, very sad. We see this even uh, uh, in our day and age. Ministers, even the leaders in churches, they're too concerned with just having a nice, comfortable employment for themselves. They don't want to uh, make a stand on anything. They don't want to defend the faith. They don't want to uh, speak out on controversial issues. Because it's too costly for them. I'll lose my ministry. I'll lose my wages. So therefore I'll just go along with everything. Just like this Levite. He should have spoken out. But he doesn't. 
He wants uh, his ease, his comfort, his money, his career. Just stay quiet. And the Levite went in. And verse 11, the Levite was content to dwell with the man. This man who has uh, uh, gods, Canaanite gods in his house, who's got graven images and molten images. This Levite is content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. But the final verse this evening, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Well, again, this is very misguided. Yes, he has a Levite to his priest, but uh, he's doing everything else wrong. He has those uh, graven images and so on, and he is very misguided. But one thing we ought to uh, uh, note just in closing, because this is a good application for us, Micah seems to be uh, very intent and very focused simply on receiving blessings. On receiving blessings. This is perhaps why, or one of the reasons why, he worships the Canaanite gods. Because uh, the Canaanite gods, well, they promised uh, wealth and good crops and uh, health and so on. And uh, Micah is very interested in seeking after those blessings. And he's interested in seeking the blessings of the Lord. Now know I that the Lord will do me good. This is his great desire, to be blessed of God. And uh, sometimes that can be the case for us. We can be tempted to only seek blessings. Only seek blessings. Only be in the Christian life for the blessing. Now, don't get me wrong. There is much blessing in the Christian life. Of course there is. But again, our main motivation is not to simply obtain good things for ourselves, blessings for ourselves. Lord, reward me. Lord, bless me. That is uh, not our primary motivation. Our primary motivation is to obey the Lord. And to serve him. And to honor him. And to deny ourselves for him. And to glorify his name. To glorify his name. Not uh, glorifying ourselves. With all the blessings that we receive. And be very proud of them. We honor him. And we do all things for him. But this is something that Micah has completely lost sight of. He's not really doing anything for the Lord. He's doing everything wrong. He's not obeying God, and yet he wants the blessing of God. Now I know that the Lord will do me good. There will be no great blessing if we don't first humble ourselves before the Lord and submit ourselves to his will. We're not in it just for the blessings. So many Christians 
or professing Christians only seek the blessings. They don't want to obey. They don't want to sacrifice. Just bless me. But that's not the spirit with which we walk with the Lord. We honor the Lord. We obey him. And we do those things that are costly, that will even bring trial and difficulty and tribulation if it means that we honor the Lord. And that's the spirit in which we do things. So this is, well, a challenging, quite a, a, a low-key, as it were, a portrait of decline in Israel, but again, lessons for us to learn and to beware of. May the Lord bless these things to us.